Welcome to the Natural Curiosity Project. I'm Steve Shepard. Thank you for spending a few minutes with me. You know, I've always been curious. I don't know why, I just know that I am. I'm a writer and a teacher and a storyteller, and my job is to be curious, to ask questions and to share the answers. This program explores my belief that why, that simple three-letter question, is the most powerful question that any human has ever asked. Every time we ask it, we challenge ignorance and the status quo. This, I believe. Curiosity leads to discovery, discovery leads to knowledge, knowledge leads to insight, and insight leads to understanding. Something that, let's face it, seems to be in short supply these days. So thank you for joining me. I hope you enjoy the program. I agree, Steve. Yeah, absolutely. I remember as a 17-year-old wandering around um, Alexandria in Egypt. You know, we were given five days off and we just we just walked in Cairo too, you know, um, Karachi in Pakistan, just young kids just wandering around. It was the most incredible life-affirming experience. But at the same time, you know, you you get to deeply experience life on a completely other level and you relate to other cultures and other people which I, I think is really important because that you you cannot uneducate yourself with those experiences they stay with you for life that is mark brennan he's my guest on this episode i love that comment he made where he said you can't uneducate yourself from those experiences they stay with you for life now he'll give you context for it a bit later in the episode but what a great comment Mark is a great example of somebody whose nonlinear career has been catalyzed by passion and curiosity and a love of the natural world. Mark's a gifted painter, but he's also an equally gifted wildlife sound recordist, a photographer, and a videographer. And as you will soon hear, sometimes he's all of those things at the same time. Here's Mark. I live in Nova Scotia on Canada's eastern shore. Um, I was originally born in uh, England and back in the late 60s. And my father was a British submariner. And when I was two months old, uh, we moved north to the main submarine base uh, on the west coast of Scotland, uh, near a little place called Helensborough. Helensborough is sort of right on the edge of the Scottish Highlands. Very, very lucky to grow up there because a, a lot of my childhood was spent in nature. I had like wonderful parents who gave uh, myself and my siblings a lot of uh, free time and uninterrupted parenting where we could do whatever we wanted and explore as long as we were back, you know, around dark. And in Scotland, it gets dark, you know, in the summertime around 10, 30, 11 o'clock. So I, I guess you could say I, I had almost a, a feral childhood, lots of time in nature. Um, and that's where I think I really bonded with the natural world and, and came to love it and became fascinated with it and pushed the curious part of me. And I, I found that I always wanted to start asking questions and why certain things were the way they were in nature. So I grew up, uh, you know, I played sport, did okay in school, but having a, a father that was a submariner, of course, I would sit down on the, on the shoreline where we grew up and watch the Royal Navy ships going up the lock to the Navy base. And it was sort of uh, seeing these warships that I always sort of wondered where they came from and where they were going. And I sort of knew that there was a life beyond my own insular town in Scotland. 
And I ended up joining the Navy at 16 years old. And uh, after training, I was a communicator and uh, later on a ship's photographer. After training, my first draft was on a, a Royal Naval frigate out to the Persian Gulf. When we talked about doing this podcast, you mentioned that there were a handful of experiences that put you on the road to who and what you are today. Was this one of them? I mean, was the experience you had on board ship one of those? We visited some incredible places, you know, the east coast of Africa, Pakistan, Sri Lanka, um, lots of places in the Mediterranean, Egypt. So you can just imagine what that was like for a 16, 17-year-old kid you know, growing up in a Western lifestyle to suddenly see these completely different ways of life. And one of the experiences that I had there was uh, in a place called Djibouti. And at that time, the famine was going on in Ethiopia and it, it, it was touching this other country next to it, Djibouti. And I remember seeing these, these starving kids the same age as me. And it, it sort of unraveled my, my sense of how I interpreted life you sort of started to question things and that made me even more curious and actually was a major force in in pushing me towards art and and also sound recording later on and you had another experience in the north sea that also had a big impact on you tell me about that my second warship was at the uh the hyper alpha explosion in the north sea where uh, 160 odd men were killed and we were the lead search ship so it was a that was another huge um, moment in my life that sort of flipped things upside down and what that, that taught me was that life is extremely precious it, it can be extremely short and there are no guarantees and then canada and lucy beckoned a few months later after the piper alpha explosion i found myself in halifax we were uh, with nato and uh, we were touring around the atlantic on a, like an operational um, tour and I did what sailors do you know go out and have a few beers and that was where I met my partner Lucy and that was uh, 33 years ago we're still together um, got out of the Navy emigrated to Nova Scotia obviously the landscape here is incredible from someone who grew up in nature I, I still had that, that deep bond with the landscape from my childhood and that, that sort of re-emerged here in Nova Scotia. That time, um, I had started to paint. I was painting in watercolors. And when I was 21, the third significant thing in, in my life happened, and I got diagnosed with um, lymphoma, which is a, it's a cancer. And uh, I was told by the doctor that I'd have to have surgery, so did that. And I remember waking up from the surgery and the doctor standing over me, telling me that I didn't have lymphoma. I didn't have cancer. It was a massive infection caused by a cat bite. So you can imagine I'd live with that hanging over my head for two or three weeks while I was waiting for surgery. And that really was the catalyst to push me towards living a life that was not your everyday job. I, I wanted a, a, a rich, curious life where I could possibly make some change in the world and um, express my own love of nature. And here I am still doing that. You know, I'm in my mid fifties now. It's been, it's been a, a wonderful journey. Holy cow. What a story, a cat bite. That's extraordinary. So when did your interest in wildlife sound kick in? In the sort of the late 1990s, I was 
painting um, a lot and um, spending a lot of time in nature, doing a lot of canoeing and backpacking um, in wilderness areas. And I, I wanted... I want to somehow bring that experience from, from the natural world, not just in memory, but also in sound. So um, what I did was I went out and I bought a very cheap recorder. It was like 30 or $40. And I remember I, I wanted to record the sound in nature and then play it in my studio. So this is just as after the internet was sort of coming out and I want to pl play it in my studio as I was painting to try to evoke sort of the experiences and feelings that I had while I was in that particular place. So I did that and it, you know, I, I get back to my studio and I, I have this little tiny recorder and I press play and it's, it's awful. I mean, these recorders are designed for voice recording and it just, it didn't pick up any of the nuances and, and tiny sounds that I was experiencing you know, through my own awareness, I thought, well, I'm going to have to investigate this a little bit more. So I started looking online and uh, sort of running across like, sound recorders like Gordon Hempton and uh, Martin Stewart and some of the, the British recordists. And, and I, I started to teach myself how to do it and what kind of equipment I needed. It, it was something that really connected with me. So what I did, I, I bought some gear. It was pretty cheap gear. And uh, I remember going out into the woods and for the very first time putting the headphones on my head and I was completely hooked, completely blown away. It was like snorkeling in, on a tropical reef for the first time, putting those headphones on. It was sort of the same kind of feeling. All the sounds that I couldn't hear, of course, because our brains filter out so much suddenly were there in the headphones and one memory was um sort of hearing birds chirping around and then putting the headphones on and i could hear a bard owl with these headphones way off in the distance and i couldn't believe it and it also brought to me how dull my senses were like i could see wonderfully and was very aware in visual sense but my hearing i realized then that i, I was not using uh, that particular sense the way it could be used also realized how much I was missing. So it, that started to bring a, a real beautiful richness to my life. So I had the, the visual uh, richness, but now I, I started to develop the, the audio or the hearing uh, richness. And it was wonderful. So it, it just kind of snowballed from there. I, I started to find locations that were quiet and uh, recording and started to, to build a library. And I would play them in the studio while I was painting to sort of evoke those feelings and, and, sort of added a new dimension to my to my painting. I just realized that we're sort of doing this out of order, talking about sound before we talk about painting, since you started painting the first. It's interesting that your interest in wildlife sound came about really as an enabler of your art. But when did the painting bug bite you? This whole painting thing came about, we used to go up north um, when I was in the Navy and uh, sit up in the Arctic on an operational deployment. And uh, it was very long, like four or five week patrols. You know, didn't have a lot to do. So um, before we went on one of these patrols, I bought a small watercolor painting kit and um, would paint during the quiet times at sea. And uh, of course, that curious brain of mine on my, my next posting, I, I went to the library and started reading as much as I could on art. 
continue to teach myself. You know, it was, it was awful, but we, you know, we all have to start somewhere. Um, we we're not born great artists or you know good sound recordists or writers or whatever. We have to really put the work in to get to that point. So um, when I came to Canada, my uh, my partner Lucy and I. Um, we took a train trip across across the country, and we we had very little money, but we got on the train at Truro in Nova Scotia, and took that train from Truro to Toronto, and then Toronto to Vancouver. Had two days in Vancouver, and then all the way back. That was two weeks of sitting on our butts, sleeping underneath the chair on the on the on the train, and it was a, a magical experience. But there was at that time in Toronto, there was a show on, and it was a retrospective uh, show of the Canadian artists, the group of seven. And I remember, this is probably 1993, 1994, going into the Art Gallery of Ontario and seeing this painting by Tom Thompson called A Northern Swamp, and it, it brought me to tears. He had expressed what I felt about the natural world. It made me realize what was possible in art and it, it sort of lit a fire in my belly to go home and work as hard as I could to begin to try to produce work that was decent and expressed my own thoughts, feelings and experiences of the natural world. So some, I got really kind of lucky because at that time I was coaching soccer and uh, coached soccer for 15 years and I learned a lot about development, about what it takes to get good. And I knew from that experience of coaching soccer that if I wanted to get good at painting, I had to put in the work. And I couldn't afford to go to university for a, an arts education. We just didn't have the means. So I, I painted every single day as much as I could for years and years and years and still until I started to get better and better. And then I would approach galleries and I was turned down a lot. And eventually the galleries started coming to me. I got into a gallery and another gallery and eventually I was in five galleries and it was, it was really wonderful. And uh, now I'm, you know, as I said earlier, in my mid fifties and, and, you know, I have an art career, you know, because luck, love, passion of, of the natural world there. I mean, there was my passion. Um, I, I wanted to express what I felt about my own experiences in nature and understanding what was possible by seeing the, an experience in the work of others. And that fire in my belly, it just, it, it burns hot and even hotter and hotter because I, I realize that my runway is getting shorter. So, you know, it's, it's almost, you, you want to take these, these last one, two or three decades and just give it everything you've got so that you leave something behind that is perhaps a force for change when you're not here. I find it interesting that that desire to make a difference is a recurring theme with your work and a noble one, whether it's capturing wildlife sound or painting or photography and videography. I think that, you know, the painting, the photography and the, the sound and the videography work all comes out of that um, that need to express myself. Now, if you ask me where that comes from, I don't know. It's something I've kind of tried to find out over my life, you know, examining my life. But I, I, honestly, 
how I th- maybe all humans have a need to express themselves. I sort of bounce around a lot, you know, uh, for a year, I might be heavily involved in painting, you know, then the, the next year, more sound recording or photography. So I, I just sort of go with the flow and, and I don't sort of try to, to fight what comes and how I want to express myself. I mean, right now I'm, I'm taking a lot of photographs. Last year I, I was painting a lot. I'm like a fish in a water and sort of wherever the water pushes me, that's where I go. I go where it's, you know, I, I, my inquisitive brain wants to take me and I have art shows and, and sometimes the art shows um, I'll incorporate uh, wild sound from some of the places uh, that the paintings depict. Um, I've done that a few times. So it's sort of like a multimedia experience. If I had more time, I would definitely produce more projects. I spend a lot of time on the eastern shore of Nova Scotia. That seems to be something that I'm pushed towards right now. I try not to box myself in. When I'm out in the field, I'm a wanderer, sort of not expecting where I'm going next and what I'm going to experience. And you go out and start driving, perhaps, and you just never know what's going to happen. And Nine times out of ten, there's always something incredible either happens or I, I paint or I will, you know, sound record. So that is also it's like that unexpectedness of uh, encounters with nature or the landscape is something I really like because it's there's sort of no definitive direction that I'm going in. That's probably what I'm trying to express to others. Like I'm, I'm sort of saying, look, look, listen, this is what's out there. This is what you can experience. And it will give your, your life a beautiful richness that I'm so fortunate to have. Well, honestly, I can't think of a better reason to do it. Um, truthfully, I feel the same way about my own art, whether it's writing or taking pictures or recording a soundscape. I do it for myself, but I also want to share it with other people. It's my version of what you called your fire in the belly. There's so much out there in the natural world to marvel at if you're willing to be open to it. So, Mark, there is one piece on your website that I absolutely love. It's called For David. Before we end the interview, would you tell me about that? David passed away in his 70s. We were both living in Nova Scotia at the time, and he happened to be from the UK. So we hit it off right away. He was 20 years older than me. And he always used to say, think for yourself. He was an environmentalist and very much attuned to the natural world. He lived in an old sort of Nova Scotia typical homestead, and it was all growing back wild. And um, David passed away in his home. And uh, myself and my other close friend, Billy, David had asked us to dig his grave for him. He wanted to be buried on his own property up in the woods forever. So Billy and I, we, we chose a spot. We photographed it, took it back to him on his deathbed and showed it to him. And he said, Yes, that's, that would be lovely. So Billy and I went up and we, we dug this grave through the, like the rock and, you know, because it's all, we, don't, we have shallow soils here. And uh, the grave was ready. We knew David was going to pass away. His wife was taking care of him. She was a nurse. And a few days later, he died. So Billy and I dug his grave and the, the, all the neighbors came around. The, one of the neighbors had made a, a pine box for him. We put, put him in the box 
and we waited for the next day when we would have a procession and we would carry him up to the spot where we were putting him. We put him into the ground and we had the most beautiful, natural goodbye to David. All the neighbors said whatever they want and he's still there to this day. And that was, you know, probably like eight years ago. The morning after David died, I took my sound gear and I went up onto his property where it was it was all wild now. There was a big swamp there where there used to be fields and it was growing up wild and was just sort of like, like the epitome of, of, you know, sort of how we should be changing our, ourselves and to live more closely with nature and, and sort of tolerating nature. And uh, that recording, I, I think it's about 40 minutes long, but it was, it was recorded the morning after David died. So, of course, you have the bitterns and all the morning chorus. And, and in the, the, the background comes this, this heavy goods train that you can hear, which add, adds a whole new, new sort of dimension to the work. But yeah, he was a major influence in my life. I've been very fortunate, I guess, over the years to have certain experiences that have, have enabled me to learn from, from people, from nature, from different types of journeys that I've been on. I, I suppose I think I've taken all this experience in life and used it as a catalyst to enrich my own life and hopefully the lives of others. I want to see other people have a, a richness to their lives too. Folks, you can find all of Mark Brennan's work at markbrennanfineart.ca. I'll also put the link in the show notes. Mark, thank you for the beautiful work, all of it in all of its many forms, and thank you for letting your curiosity and passion take you where it did. Frankly, we're all better for it. Hey, thanks for dropping by. I'm Steve Shepard, the host of the Natural Curiosity Project, where we're committed to the idea that curiosity leads to discovery, discovery leads to knowledge, knowledge leads to insight, and insight leads to understanding. In every episode, we explore some topic that piqued our curiosity enough to make us want to share it with you. I hope you enjoy the journey. And if you did, I'd appreciate it if you'd leave a comment over at iTunes or SoundCloud, wherever you listen to the podcast. Thank you very much. We'll see you in the next episode. Thank you.